Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty. Today I'll be joined by John Daigle, Denny Carter, and someone doing something on my neighbor's lawn. Uh, so sorry <laughs> if you can hear that. We are going to be talking the running back dead zone, the land between rounds three and six that tries zero RB truthers' souls. We will also be looking into Julio Jones' speakerphone call with Shannon Sharp, where he proclaimed, I am out of there to the city of Atlanta. Uh, guys, how are we doing today? Uh, Denny, I have to ask, do you plan on becoming the Phil Mickelson of Wii Golf, winning <sighs> OG majors when you're 50, or are you going to switch to Mario Golf Super Rush? This is a great question, and I appreciate you bringing up this important topic. First, I do want to say about the RB Dead Zone, this is based on a novel by Stephen King in 1988, so we have to <laughs> we have to give him credit. Um uh, but but yeah, the, the the golf situation is going to change dramatically for me because we're we are now, I think, one month away from a new Mario Golf thing being released. I don't know why they have to wait so long, but they are. And uh, I'm, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to transition from traditional Wii Golf to the Mario thing because I have people uh, who who want to who want to play me, who want to face me for whatever reason. I guess I guess, you know, they you know they they want to be beat in front of an audience it's fine that's fine you know and and i'll uh, i'll go with that but yeah i'm very much looking forward to that it's going to be much more complicated than the wii version right because yeah, i feel like will. you've perfected the wii like you come in 69 under par and it's like how did he <laughs> do this it doesn't make any sense yeah it, it will be there's lots of uh well there, there's lots of you know like uh like cartoonish things you know uh, uh, bombs blowing up and different characters swooping in I think, you know, which I'm not a big fan of. Obviously, I don't like fun. This game sounds fun. Uh, so we, we will we'll see if I if I make the full transition, but I'm going to give it a try. Danny, did you know that if you pre-ordered, you receive an exclusive pen set? I um, I did know that because I did pre-order it. Oh my gosh. So wait, you have a Switch? I didn't know you had a Switch. When were you going to announce this to the public? My... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am required to announce all uh, electronic purchases to the public. My, my kid has it. Uh, my kid got it for his birthday. Very a convenient days ago. excuse. John, yeah. if you ever played this, I mean, we're too, I mean, we're just too old for video games. I don't have time to do things like play FIFA literally every week in person <laughs> with my friends. Um, which Mario character would you be in uh, if you played Mario Golf Super Rush, John? Oh, I don't know the characters. I'm always a big Wario or Bowser guy. I was going to say Wario. For I like the hills of the industry. <laughs> um, also, I will say I always make fun as a boomer 
making fun of boomers playing video games. Uh, but over the pandemic, when I was still in Connecticut, I did get too good, like extremely good at the Switch Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Super Mario oh, Kart? Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but I can play it backwards. I perfected Mirror Tracks. Uh, I got really good at it. It was like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe or something, because they just ported the uh, Wii mm-hmm. U one. And they rigged it to where ev- everyone in last place gets the blue shell, and thus you have to be so far ahead in first place that the blue shell does not impact you whatsoever. You, you know, the blue shell, by the way, and I, I'm, I don't mean to get political, but the blue shell is the ultimate form of socialism in video games. <laughs> well, I was going to say... mean to get political. Yeah, we've no. got a lot of problems in this country, but one of the biggest unspoken problems that everyone knows exists is that Mario Kart, the past two or three iterations, while super fun and I've played for countless hours, the items just change the balance of power too much. Like, too much. At some point, good racing needs to be rewarded, okay? At some point, <laughs> good racing needs to be rewarded. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of being in first place and then getting blue-shelled and then getting red-shelled. And then getting, you know, like that oil slick on my screen or whatever, it's out of control. It's a national crisis. That's right. Uh, as long as you're not, as long as you're red shelled and not red pilled, I think that's the most important thing. <laughs> that is a very, and with that, we will move to actual <laughs> football talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Before we get to the Bermuda Triangle of running backs, Julio Jones, Julio, who may or may have not known he was on the air uh, with undisputed Shannon Sharp, announced he was out of there when talking about the Atlanta Falcons. Do we like this? Where do we want him to land? John Daigle, you start with giving us your Julio Jones thoughts. It reminds me a lot of the Freakonomics episode that discussed how it's actually much more efficient to fill the lane on the highway that's about to end and slowly allow vehicles to merge than it is to merge too early and allow that lane to go unused. The issue being the morality of cutting in line, of course, because it's great TV to call your buddy up and get breaking news live on the air. But it's probably an issue morally if you don't tell him he's going to break his own news live on the air. So it's a very interesting subject there. But for fantasy purposes, this doesn't move the needle much for Calvin Ridley. Sure, he becomes a, a potential top three, top four wide receiver. But one, that area is log jammed. It's hard to fit the number five overall, whether you believe it's Justin Jefferson or DeAndre Hopkins in there, let alone Calvin Ridley. The good news is, though, Ridley, of course, 31% target share, 51% air yard share without Julio Jones last year. And quickly, 
it is not too early for best ball tournaments to continue stacking Julio with other quarterbacks since much like pre-draft best ball drafts and how we target rookies because we know one landing spot can cause their ADP to rise four to six rounds. Uh, Look at Michael Carter is one instance from this past year. The moment that trade for Julio becomes official, the quarterbacks, even if it's Derek Carr, are going to rise substantially. So continue taking shots in large field tournaments. I'm obsessed. Yeah, no, I, I, I love John comes every week. John comes with a new galaxy brain stacking option. And I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not even making fun. This is great. You know, you, you, so you're, you can have a team where you stack Aaron Rodgers with some Broncos, you stack Julio with, I don't know, Carson Wentz and, or, or Derek Carr. I mean, it sounds gross, but you know, it, it, I, I really like these, especially for, for, for large field. Uh, What's going to happen here besides, you know, really is going to uh, pop up a little bit in ADP. Um, Kyle Pitts is going to go bananas in, in ADP. Uh, I think he will eventually be, if Julio indeed leaves, I think Julio will, I mean, Kyle Pitts will be the second tight end off the board uh, behind only Travis Kelsey and maybe only by a little bit. Uh, so there will be no scenario in which a fantasy drafter will be able to, you know, get value, get a deal for Kyle Pitts in any format. Uh, in fact, in, in tight end premium, I mean, we could see him go in the first round pretty easily, I think. Uh, you know, so so that if you want Kyle Pitts exposure at all this season, you're going to have to do that pretty quickly. I'm out on that. I'm not going to pay any price for uh, a tight end. And if we're going to, I don't know why I said that. Uh, if we're going to <laughs> Galaxy Brain Stacks, by the way, uh, how about Brian Hoyer and Julio Jones with the New England Patriots? Uh, I think you just won a league. Right there. Have either of you read, like, are the Chiefs a realistic possibility at all? The Chiefs, I think, have like seven to eight million in cap space. I think that's about how much money teams would be taking on with a Julio Jones trade. And talk about like the acute need. Uh, He said Julio on the Undisputed, where he may or may not have known his phone call was being broadcast to the public and then immediately aggregated all over the internet. He said he wants to win. Um, The Chiefs would certainly fill that bill fit that bill and just yeah they have the humongous it, it, it's tough to say they have a humongous need when they have two of the top weapons in the entire nfl but they've had unusually good injury luck with travis kelsey and tyree kill even though tyree kills missed a little time he's never missed like six or seven weeks and like this i thought the lack of a third option came up again and again as an issue for the chiefs last year and you know it doesn't need to be as good as julio jones of course but i do think the chiefs have a legit need for a legit third weapon and Julio Jones, uh, that's how you run it back for your third straight AFC title. Can you imagine Julio as your third passing option? Passing now, game he option? Wouldn't, what, I guess he, I guess he would no, be. I mean, he would. would. He be? No, he definitely would be the third option. I mean, it, it, it would be great for the team. I, I think they should do it. You know, to go all in, get, get Julio as your third uh, receiving option. I, I think that that, that offense reaches, another level which we didn't really think was possible after after the the past few seasons i i would love to see that although i it does seem like the right now the patriots are the leading contender um i think the i think the colts are the, the 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 colts are low key like in the in the mix here for julio i don't i don't love it i don't i take no pleasure in reporting it but i i, I do think they the colts are one of nine teams that have enough cap space at this moment to absorb Julio's contract for 2021. 
The Chiefs fit the bill of Schefter's most recent report that the team is not looking to trade Julio inside the NFC. Having said that, it still leads me to the three teams that we have continued citing on this show, and that is the Colts, Patriots, and Raiders as the three major contenders here. With the 49ers, if the Falcons drop down from that first-round asking price, being sneaky NFC contenders. Having said that, to your point, Pat, recall that without Julio last year, Ryan was actually, unsurprisingly, I should say, abysmal. 6.1 yards per attempt, 57% completion rate. Remember, we kept in DFS trying to throw in like men-priced, uh, Russell Gage in and just trying to get some of those targets that are left over. But the fact was outside of Calvin Ridley's opportunity, the rest of the offense cratered because it's just a bunch of guys like maybe Olamide Zacchaeus, for instance, emerges here since they have no one else. Uh, Kyle Pitt, of course, a rookie tight end, still learning three positions, offensive line, his own and wide receiver. But overall, there's just a chance that the entire offense craters and Ryan's benched like in week 10 for somebody else. Oh, man. I, I love that's the first time we've heard the phrase Ryan's benched on the pod. I'm about that. Uh, of those three teams, we had the Colts, Raiders, Patriots. I think I would want the Patriots. I don't want the Joker situation happening with Carson Wentz. I don't want John, talk about the Joker, John Gruden, and Derek Carr. I think even if it was Mac Jones, between Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, they would figure out a way to use Julio properly. Uh, that's enough about one man. Now we have to move to the running back dead zone. Uh, Danny, first off, yeah. give an explainer of what the running back dead zone is. Yeah, so it, as succinctly as I can put it, uh, we're talking about running backs taken in round three to six, roughly, although we could talk about running backs on the edges of, of those rounds, of course, um, where uh, they have historically uh, proven to be not uh, op- optimal picks uh, in that range, whereas wide receivers have been much better and and produce a higher win rate um and and more fantasy points per game in that round three to six range so we have we have come to call it the running back dead zone and it's important to understand what what the dead zone is and how to avoid that trap for especially for drafters who go wide receiver or tight end or whatever early and then feel compelled to take a running back in round three four five six to, you know, balance the roster, you know, to, to make up for ground that they feel they've lost uh, to league mates who have drafted elite running backs in the first two rounds. Uh, so that scramble begins around three, it extends into the middle rounds. Uh, and it, it, traditionally it's not a place you want to take running back. The thing is though, you're saying, well, if you don't take running back in round one and two, and then not round three, four, five, and six, where are you taking them? You really have to steal yourself and, and get ready to go, you know, later around seven, eight, nine, ten, and and further down the list with uh, with running backs. Yeah, I think you just described what you're saying is that zero RB is a scam because <laughs> you feel great going zero RB in rounds two and three. Yeah. But then, no, I mean, I'm pretty close to zero RB adherent, but yeah, I think if you don't get that running back in the first round, you just so he, first off, I'm just here were the running backs in the running back dead zone mm-hmm. last year from rounds three to six by ADP. Todd Gurley, Chris Carson, David Johnson, Jonathan Taylor, James Conner, Leo Fournette, Melvin Gordon, Mark Ingram, Le'Veon Bell, Raheem Mostert, Devin Singletary, oh, Cam Akers, David Montgomery, Kareem Hunt, and DeAndre Swift. Disaster. Uh, a few people who didn't make you the joker there, but a lot of jokers. <laughs> I very famously on our podcast took Devin Singletary in like the fifth or sixth round and we were building the perfect team. 
last summer, John and Josh Norris laughed at me. And I was kind of like, well, what do you want me to do? Like we had been zero RBing and we didn't have a second RB. It was like the seventh round. And we got Devin Singletary and even there, it was not even close to a bargain. To be fair, this year, the names just changed. Everyone's still drafting Zach Moss entirely too early, if at all, thinking it matters. Uh, I will say, and this is the first time it's been said on this Monday show, which is why I need to say it. While I support zero RB, if you can take trips with your friends, let's say, in a post-pandemic world, and cite movie quotes, you should be able to go into every single draft knowing the four or five hard strategies and not being glued to one. I just think, just like life, going in with only zero RB and going in with one strategy caps your ceiling and the eventual results that could happen if you limit yourself to a single goal. So I am no proponent of a single strategy. I think everyone should just take whatever the board gives them. Yeah, you can adhere to a strategy loosely, but you have to, value is still, even Denny will take a value when he sees there's a value. Very rarely. I guess. Falling too far. If I'm forced to, yes, I will. I will stray from my ideological roots and and take a value. Yeah, I mean, everybody's a value at some point. Now, that's that's something that we have to keep in mind, Um, you know, going into a draft with an idea of how you want to draft your team is always good. I always support that. I, I do reject, I reject the, the idea. And I know this is, we're kind of going on a tangent here. I, I reject the idea that um, there is no wrong way to draft the team. I think that there are lots of really wrong and terrible ways. I know that's not what you're saying, John, but I, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to go down that path here. Sure. So, so anyways, rounds three to six, the question is, are you getting a Devin Singletary or are you getting a Jonathan Taylor? Are you getting a cream hunt? The first player this year in the zone uh, right around like that two, three turn is JK Dobbins. Uh, John is, do, do you think JK Dobbins is more likely to become a Devin Singletary or is he more likely to become a Jonathan Taylor in 2021? Uh, neither, but I will say he should be higher on the list of zero RB targets and RB twos because he's not even being drafted as that. Whereas recall last year in the five games, Mark Ingram was healthy scratched for Edwards was only out touched by JK Dobbins 62 to 59. And so that's why I still favor Edwards highly. And what is going to be a timeshare uh, with Dobbins throughout the entire year. Everyone cites that Dobbins is amazing. And of course, he's a, he's a great player, but even Edwards on his touches in that stretch without Ingram averaged 5.9 yards per touch. He's an uber-talented player, player, and it's so close because neither are going to see a high target share. That's not how Lamar Jackson has ever worked. And so just being so close in the carries, uh, I am all for closing the gap between Edwards and Dobbins and thus moving Dobbins down the ranks as I've done in my best ball tiers. Yeah, uh, there are seven rounds separating Dobbins and Edwards. Crazy. And that that's a lot, you know. Um, even even if you're not, you know, an Edwards truther like me, I, I think, you know, that that is a lot. And and I want to say that by July and August, I think that we'll see that that gap go from seven rounds to maybe four or five. So that that will tighten up eventually. I'm not sure exactly who I'm, I'm sure Edwards will rise. I think Dobbins will come down a little bit. We'll, we'll see. Um, oh, overall, I, I have no interest in taking Dobbins at his current ADP. Yeah, I don't either. I, I'm three for three here. I mean, seven rounds is a preposterous gap between them. This is just a very aspirational ADP. He's a very good player, but this has never been a one back system. You have the quarterback with 14 rushing touchdowns over the past two seasons. And 
Gus Edwards, he really, by a lot of metrics and like kind of like even the eye test, he's one of the better, like pure runners in the NFL. Not that JK Dobbins isn't a great pure runner too, but just everything about this past two to three years, Greg Roman, Lamar Jackson era has told us this is never going to be a one back system, even on early downs. And it's just, this is too ass. I mean, this JK Dobbins is another, as a player who like, if he was on a different team, like I would, we probably could maybe be getting all behind like second round, maybe even late first round JK Dobbins. He's that talented of a player, but this just strikes me as too aspirational. It's always pending the platform, but I've seen Edwards go behind Tony Pollard and so many different uh, interfaces uh, around where Alexander Madison, who has zero standalone value goes as well. And that just always shocked me to see him in that range of names. That, that was actually just genuinely shocking. I'm not kidding to hear those names mentioned back to back. Like they should not be in the same tier and someone needs to answer their doorbell. I'm assuming. <laughs> Keep rolling one second. <laughs> Miles, Miles Sanders is next yeah. in the dead zone. Um, Denny is yeah. he has, he's really only four or five picks by ADP behind JK Dobbins. Uh, I, I guess this is a bit of a fade already for Miles Sanders. Cause without like some of the off season noise, he might've been going like clear second round. Yeah, initial thoughts is is, is Sanders going to dead zone you? Yeah. Or are we going to get some value here? I I don't really understand why he falls into the dead zone, you know, and and so I I'm a little bit wary of of like writing him off at, at his ADP. Um, I think people cite uh, volume as an issue, but um, and then you know of course snaps playing time, but it really wasn't the case in uh, Jalen Hurts uh, starts in in 2020. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at his game log, Miles Sanders game log. He had uh, 14 carries for 115, 17 carries for 64 yards, and then 15 carries for 57. I mean, you know, we're not talking about 20, 25 carries, but that's, that's not what you need in order to justify taking him in, in the third round. There's also, uh, you know, uh, several reports that the Eagles new offense uh, will focus on the screen game. Uh, which could be a big benefit, you know, for Miles Sanders PPR floor and upside. Really, uh, I'm. I, I think we're going to see him rise a little bit. I think that the Eagles drafting a running back, you know, and, and Gainwell may may have um, flattened expectations a little bit. I think that'll that'll come back around. We'll see Sanders bump up a few picks by by the summer. One. It's illegal to park on a sidewalk in Orlando and block it. The policeman just told me, had no idea. Car moved now. Two, as Denny said, Sanders' ceiling and floor probably is now higher since Nick Sirianni intelligently mentioned um, having an emphasis on the screen game and setting up the pass game with play action, which, by the way, only the Chiefs and Bills do. No team in coach is intelligent enough around the league to, to realize that the play action game sets up passing. You don't need to run the ball in order for play action and passing to be successful. Um, having said that, the way they've shaped this offseason still makes me somewhat worry about Sanders, even though I'd still do consider him a mid RB2, the low draft capital spent on Kenny Gainwell, adding carry on Johnson and as a high priority off waivers out of nowhere. So although I'm still concerned, uh, I can't raise him into fringe RB1 range, but sure, mid to low end RB2, if you can get Sanders there, that's when I'm on board. Yeah, Denny, you said you weren't quite sure why Miles Sanders was in the dead zone. And John highlighted some of the reasons, and you did too, but I mean, this isn't his coaching staff. As we, it's a new coaching staff, which is always seems to be a bigger problem for running backs than almost any other position. 
you have the dual threat quarterback where we didn't really see that dynamic at play until the final three or four games last season. Yeah. Like you said, you have the new pass catching back and Kenneth mm-hmm. Gainwell, you know, the fact, I mean, Miles Sanders has good uh, pass catching numbers and efficiency, like on paper, but you know, Boston Scott always kind of seemed to be like the better change of pace option. You just have like a lot of red flags with Miles Sanders, but his floor is a lot higher than a lot of the people on this list. So I, I could understand arguing why Miles Sanders is maybe still worth like a low second round pick, yeah. not a, a true dead zone back. I sort of throw out last year's results too, because he went as the offense went. Without Carson Wentz, he wasn't going to go anywhere anyways. Uh, whereas he was used as the team's workhorse in the three games Jalen Hurts starts. But again, we can't really use that stat because it's an entirely new coaching staff. Yeah, I wasn't upset about that at all, by the way. Uh, you know, finally, Miles Sanders getting some run at the end of the season after I was already eliminated uh, across the board. I, wasn't I, I, I tend to remember some tweets from you yeah, that, were, that, were, that were not upset at all. Wasn't upsetting at all. I'm not mad. Mm. Not mad. It, was, it was funny. Uh, <laughs> David Montgomery, who's going to be on all sorts of running back watch lists all offseason for a variety of reasons. As we've talked about, one of the most obvious fades uh, of all yeah. time, maybe. Who, you know, his 2020 was built on touch dominance and now Tariq Cohen is back jack of all trades Damian Williams is there even sixth round rookie Khalil Herbert um is there and like that's kind of something the Bears haven't had in the past couple is like a rookie back who could like step in and like actually pick up some touches in the event of an injury uh so John justified David Montgomery and are are we surprised he's not even higher actually I'm kind of surprised already at the restraint being shown for David Montgomery was like third fourth round borderline and yeah, is, is David Montgomery a true dead zoner? You can tell the the drafters get sharper every single year because perhaps like five years ago, after Montgomery's run to close the year, which as you were talking about, Pat, came against football outsiders number 18, 27, 29, 30, and 24 rush defense DVOAs. So we just throw it out the window. Would have been much higher. Without Tariq Cohen, from week four on, Montgomery was the pass catching back and overall workhorse over Cordell Patterson. Averaged 21 touches and 28 routes per game, including five targets per. But you go to that first month of the season, and Montgomery only averaged 20 routes per game, eight fewer, because Cohen was obviously the pass catching back. And that's why Damian Williams is the hangup. It's because now Montgomery would have two hills to climb rather than one to presumably receive that role again. And that's why we are down on him even though there is a range where I will draft him because if he shows, even if it was by a bunch of flukes and flaws, if he shows he has that ceiling, then maybe we should be higher on him at the right price as well. When Tariq Cohen went down last year and the, and the first game the Bears had the, uh, without him, Montgomery saw all the snaps, all the pass routes, uh, and, and, and obviously the backfield touches and you, and you just knew that even if, even if you don't like the player or the situation, that sort of opportunity doesn't come around very often. So, um, he was, you know, he was a, a, a clear acquisition target. Uh, once Cohen went down, you know, Cohen's back. Um, you talk about Damian Williams coming to that backfield. I, I still don't think he's, he's anywhere close to where I would feel comfortable taking him. Um, I think maybe, you know, he'll fall out of the dead zone. Um, if, if things continue to <laughs> progress in a way that the fantasy managers can see, Oh, this is not 2020. Like that was a very unique and, 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 and special period for David Montgomery that probably won't repeat. And by say, by probably, I mean, 99% will not repeat. 
so maybe if that thinking, you know, continues to gain traction, he'll fall out and then we could be interested. But right now, no way. Fantasy drafters have gotten sharper. They haven't got David Montgomery out of the first six rounds sharper. I don't, I don't think that'll be <laughs> right. happening. That's true. The, the one thing I'll say about David Montgomery, like the one positive thing, I guess, is so we know that this world beating streak came against one of the world's softest schedules. We talked about the time where we'll be talking about a lot this off season, but uh, that's something David Montgomery, that's something a lot of backs don't do is they get that soft schedule and they don't take advantage of it. So even that is like a bar to clear. So we do have like an obvious reason for why David Montgomery blew up, but it's not like you don't just take it for granted that someone will rock a soft schedule. Mm-hmm. So we, we did get a stretch of play, even if it was like a soft schedule that we've never seen from David Montgomery before. And maybe he's just someone or a back where the light was turning on later, but I agree with the skepticism and it just, it just feels like, you know, like, you again, yeah. When you, when you, especially when you don't go running back early, you're like, well, I got to lock in these touches. Like David Montgomery at least has touches, but like this, this, yeah, there's more where there was threats on no fronts last year from the second half. There was again, like threats on every front in terms of pass catching goal line, even maybe more of a dual threat quarterback. He already kind of played with a dual threat quarterback and Mitchell Trubisky and Justin Fields. Isn't like an insane, like running dual threat quarterback. He's not just like running all the time. But there's just threats on like every front, basically, for David Montgomery. And it's hard to see him living up to this ADP. NBC Sports Edge wants to remind you that Red Nose Day is Thursday, May 27th. Find out how you can donate to support life-changing programs for children living in poverty at rednoseday.org. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Chris Carson. Uh, Is Chris Carson new to the dead zone? I feel like Chris Carson's usually been like a safe uh, second or third round and and pick over the past couple of years. Uh, And he's in the dead zone now. Uh, Mm Who, who's got the Chris card? I forgot who I went to hmm. first last time. I'm not a great diplomat like Josh. Who wants Chris Carson first? Uh, I'll go. Uh, yeah, this is kind of new territory. Um, I, I, I guess it's it's because of the potential for injury, the fact that Chris Carson gets dinged up a lot. We've talked about that on the on the show. I guess you know Rashad Penny is another year removed from that catastrophic injury that kept him out for a season and a half, really. Um, and, and Penny is expected to, you know, to be, you know, a real part of the backfield this year. 
um, which we couldn't say. This time it counts. Going you know, this year it's going to be for real for Rashad Penny, folks. This time just, it counts. We just got to keep waiting. You know, he's only 39 years old. <laughs> um, no, and, and uh, you know, so Penny, Penny becomes a, a target in the later rounds, I think. Um, and I think that, that, all that all those factors have pushed down, you know, Chris Carson, but Carson still has a lot of touchdown upside. He's going to continue to get early down work and, and, and short yardage, <clears throat> excuse me, short yardage carries, including near the goal line, like I mentioned. So uh, again, he's another guy. I'm not really sure why he's, why he's in the dead zone, but he is. So we have to accept that. I, I wanted to say real quick uh, about, about early round running backs um, because I, you know, we're used to seeing Chris Carson go in the earlier rounds, you know, first, second round, uh, maybe not first, but second round. Uh, so uh, this is according to establish the runs, Jack Miller, 16 running backs have an ADP inside, inside the top 24 picks this year. That's a, a major increase over the average of 11 over the past six years. So this, we have 16 running backs going, we have 11 uh, on average uh, in those top 24 picks. So people are really uh, prioritizing those 16 backs and letting the rest kind of fall, trickle down into that into that dead zone, you know, only so many running backs can go in the top 24 picks, I guess. So Carson gets left out. Carson is actually my favorite among the dead zone. Uh, I guess I'm less worried about Rashad Penny than you are, Denny, <laughs> especially after they, they chose to ignore his fifth year option, and not extend it. They also healthy scratched him at times last year. It wasn't even injury and just chose to run with, run with Carson as the team's primary number one. And then just the fact that, even when he was absent and DJ Dallas, Carlos Hyde, who's now, of course, gone to Jacksonville, and Alex Collins showcased in his absence. When he returned, he still handled 71% of the team's touches from week 15 on as the primary workhorse, showing their confidence in him. So the fact that they got rid of their OC essentially because he was passing too much and they wanted to become more of a running team, that's why I, I'm, I'm quite high on Carson. And it's very easy to get him as your RB2 or even RB1 if you're going – you know, uh, tight end, wide receiver, wide receiver starts. There are a few red, genuine red flags with Chris Carson, aside from the fact that he can't stay healthy. Uh, after he came back from injury last year, his final six games of the regular season, he only averaged 13 carries. And this was after you know, Pete Carroll, like, pressed the board on, like, the, uh, the high – like, they ejected from the high-passing offense out of the plane. They were, like, done with that. And he still only averaged 13 carries – over the final six games, maybe from the Seahawks, an admission that he's not going to hold up under heavier workloads, like the, a traditional lead back workload. And, you know, they also let him hit the open market. Uh, so like they were, they gambled, like they still value him because they re-signed him, but like they gambled, they didn't like him enough to not gamble and let him hit the open market. So maybe the Seahawks investment in Chris Carson just isn't what it once was. Now on the other hand, you know, He's a back on a, it is a one-year deal, correct? Um, so maybe they'll have no qualms about just running him until he gets hurt again. But I, I do, this is one, John made a good positive case for Chris Carson. Chris Carson's one, like on the three, four turn, this is like true, like what is the upside for Chris Carson? Like there's no, like his upside is very well established. And I just feel like the downside is no longer clear and that could fall through the floor basically. So Chris Carson will be someone I'm, I'm ignoring in the dead zone. The next back in this zone uh, that is not alive for running backs <laughs> is Josh Jacobs, who's going as a clear fourth round pick 
according to ADP. John, uh, is it too high, too low? Does he deserve to be dead zoned? Are we overreacting to Kenyon Drake's addition in Las Vegas? 15th in fantasy points per game among running backs last year, due in part to that massive week one he had with three touchdowns against the Panthers, I believe it was. But overall, it's just a even more tepid situation than it was last year when we knew he was game script dependent. Just the fact that he now has a reconstructed offensive line ahead of him. That was one of the league's most elite units last year, but they wanted to make it better Thus, they got rid of the good players. Still not sure how that works. And then also, free agency's highest paid running back, as you mentioned, Pat. So overall, I just think it makes out again for Josh Jacobs to be a game script dependent player. And as we discussed before, for however much you want to weigh it, I think it matters that the Raiders have literally the league's toughest schedule based on Vegas season win totals. Thus, it's going to be hard for him to get on the field, especially in second halves. We're going to know in week one when the Ravens just roll him by four scores, whether he's the second half pass catching back or not. But overall, I am pretty much out on Josh Jacobs. I keep trying to move him further down my rankings, but I can't get beyond RB26. He was phased out of the team's uh, passing attack almost completely down the stretch last year Um, outside of a week 13 loss to the Colts. uh, Jacobs didn't see more than three targets in the game for um, the second half of, of the, of the season. Now you have Kenyon Drake, who apparently people see as a good pass catcher, even though he's not been used like that (laughs) since Miami, but you know, we can't argue with, can't argue with John Gruden. That's one thing we can't do. No. Um, who who is uh in his own words trying to throw the game back to 1998 um the one saving grace year, by the way it was a good year it was it was i think we can all agree on that um uh the one saving grace is that the raiders clearly want to establish according to their neutral pass rates over the past two seasons uh they were uh they had they were 24th in neutral pass rate in 2019 25th in neutral pass rate in 2020 so, you know, they, they clearly, we know what they want to do when, when they can run, they want to run that might save Jacobs, but man, like, just like with the Ravens backfield, why take Jacobs there when you can take uh Kenyon Drake five rounds, six rounds later? I mean, it's, it's a huge gap. I've, I finally found a dead zoner. I'm going to stick up for because. I just don't think Josh Jacobs' situation has really changed that much. The supporting cast has changed, so the offensive line is a huge variable, of course. But he was the RB8 by raw half PPR points last season, and he only caught 33 passes anyways. He only caught 20 as a rookie. I have a hard time believing his receptions could actually fall below 20. And it just, as Jenny said, they want to be established. I mean, he's still the clear lead back. But there's also the matter of Kenyon Drake, you know, not being good. Um, he was in what was probably a more cleverly designed rushing attack last year. I mean, say what you will about Cliff Kingsbury. He has designed some decent rushing attacks the past two years. I just don't think the situation has changed that much for Josh Jacobs, where he should be going from a late first rounder to like a clear fourth rounder. And this could be very famous last words, but I, I would be totally fine taking Josh Jacobs in the third round. And now well, I've just lost every fantasy league I'm playing. I mean, third round, that's fine. Yeah, but he shouldn't have been a late first rounder or in that range last year. That's the issue. The process was wrong last year. So he we cannot repeat the, the wrong RB8, process. RB8 well, and half for 15th in fantasy points per game. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, and- by points per game, but you know, be, hey, the best. Uh, what's the cliche about availability is the best ability or whatever? Well, that's the thing. He's not. He's not available usually either because he is hurt and, a lot. He plays I, through injury a lot. And I don't mean, yeah, I don't mean to predict injuries here, but we know when guys have that style, they are more likely to get injured, and that's why he's battled shoulder injuries in consecutive years because he is a fierce runner. And so I don't expect him to stay healthy, and I don't expect him to get see as many carries in favorable game scripts. Next up, Miles Gaskin. This guy's a true dead zoner. Cause like, what like a journeyman, a, a true like jack of all trades, master of none type. Uh, he was like the definition of a replacement level runner last year. He's going in the fifth round right now. Denny, is mm-hmm. there a, a you have a positive case for Miles Gaskin or another guy who's just swirling down the Bermuda Triangle? I don't know what to do with him because, you know, objectively, he is the Dolphins' lead back right now. We have to remember that the, the, the Dolphins were this close to acquiring Carrion Johnson. Not that he's some huge threat, but it's, it's, it's noteworthy in that Miami is not done adding to its backfield. I don't believe. I think we're going to see uh, a signing or two this summer that will make us question whether Miles Gaskin Christian. is... Sorry mm-hmm. to keep interrupting you. I said Chris Johnson. They're going to sign Chris Johnson. I don't it know could, why I made this joke. Now. It could be. It could be. Uh, it, I, I have heard some, there's been some scuttlebutt, as the Zoomers are saying, uh, about uh, Rex Burkhead going to Miami. Just I'm just really? going to put that out here. Um, First off, uh, Zoomers don't know that word, and Zoomers definitely do not know who Rex Burkhead no, is. No, they, they know neither of these things. I, um, it, it just just various uh, rumblings on, on the internets. Anyway, uh, I, I I don't know I don't I don't know what to do really with him and I, I with with Miles Gaskin um, he, he he makes sense I guess if you're if you're building like a, a heavy wide receiver team and you want to just take a take a dead zoner and hope hope that it works out um, but I'm I'm still skeptical that he sees a starter's workload. Malcolm Brown continues to be my potential bugaboo in evaluating. Gaskin. I actually think Brown will be involved, but not enough isn't even as the short yardage back to force Gaskin out of the RB 20 to 24 range. And I have him ranked higher personally than that Gaskin because everyone seems to be overvaluing this intel that Miami was going to draft Javante Williams had he been available at 36. Because even if it's true, it's a thing of the past now, so it doesn't matter at all. They actually have to trade now to add to their backfield because they've proven they're too smart of an organization to sink resources into their backfield. That's why Savan Ahmed is still the backup, and Malcolm Brown was signed at nearly a minimum deal, like James Conner, on a one-year contract. So overall, I still believe Miles Gaskin has the potential to be RB15, RB16 overall, and so I've just been meshing him in with Mike Davis and Chase Edmonds, who will talk about both in a bit as like one of those mid-range to high-end RB2s. He, Gaskin is really someone where maybe I'm going to miss out on a value, but I am letting someone else deal with it because a lot of it last year is about literally every other back being hurt. Uh, but Salvin Ahmed was almost as good uh, when he was healthy. They have been talking up Malcolm Brown, as John said. Uh, Jared Dokes, who I know a lot about, uh, is someone who was drafted <laughs> and is there now. And I do agree with you. I think a signing is going to be in order. And you know, they've really upgraded the passing game personnel, too. So maybe they're not going to be leaning on the run nearly as much. And yeah, it's just like, what is truly the upside of a player like Miles Gaskin? It's kind of what I come back to. And I just think the floor 
is going to be a lot lower than it was last year. We joke about Dokes, uh, but we won't be laughing when we have him ranked as an, a consensus RB1 in week 13. Just remember that. <laughs> That's fine, but I can't take it. It's only May. I'm going to hear it a lot more, I know. But the fact people continue comparing Jared Dokes to James Robinson as the player to come out of nowhere, it's like, well, James Robinson didn't have anyone to push out of the way, first of all. Like, Miles Gaskin was very good. And then they showed they are comfortable leaning on Ahmed if Miles Gaskin is not available last year. So that is two players already blocking a seventh-round running back. That doesn't matter anyhow. So, no, I'm not here for it. And to truly come out of nowhere, we have to not be talking about you in May. And if we're already talking about you in May, you're not going to be surprising anyone like the Sharps are already on you. Before we get to our next player, I would like to remind our audience that an NBC Sports Edge premium subscription includes all sports. So you can get access to MLB, NBA, NHL, and NFL premium products all under the same umbrella. That includes all of our draft guides, including our NFL, which will be live before you know it. For 10% off any subscription, enter the promo code GOOD10. That is GOOD10 for 10% off. As this next one is someone who is very low uh, in the ADP for what I would have expected, Kareem Hunt. He's going like the middle of the fifth round. He was the RB11 by raw half PPR points last year. The cast really has not changed there except for sixth round slasher. Demetric Felton. How do I pronounce his first name, by the way? I'm sorry. I believe it's Demetric, but it doesn't, he doesn't Demetric matter. Demetric makes okay. uh, considerably more sense than Demetric. So I'm sorry, Mr. Felton, to say your name. It was one of those things where I got on the pie, I oh, I've never said this name out loud before. <laughs> I'd say, but Kareem Hunt, yeah, is the middle of the fifth round. I mean, we know this is a committed two back offense. We know it's a committed run offense. Uh, Denny, is this way too low for Kareem Hunt? Yeah, in the United States, we don't use the metric system. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> we'll edit that out. We've been fired again. <laughs> um, yeah, so Cream Hunt is is pretty tough to pass up. You know, that's the thing about the dead zone is that you can make a case for almost any of these guys besides David Montgomery. Um, you know, to to say, oh well, the, he might be different. He, you know, why why wouldn't I take him? And Hunt, you know, gets first of all gets to play behind one of the league's best offensive lines. Okay, he has the, you know, upside, the tremendous upside, maybe more than anybody else in this zone, in this range, definitely, of of being the lead back uh, for a, a, a run heavy, run focused Browns team if anything happens to Chubb. So, you know, he has a lot going for him. He has passing down involvement. Um, I it it is it is difficult if if you go heavy you know other positions in the early rounds and you see Cream Hunt hanging there in the fifth sixth round man that that is that is really tough to turn down I can't say that I would have the willpower to to pass him up Hunt is who everyone thinks Tony Pollard is in that range because he actually does have standalone value. Whenever Nick Chubb came back from injury from week 10 on last year, Hunt averaged 12 fantasy points per game despite handling 70 fewer touches than Hunt and then Chubb in that stretch. So he has not only that standalone value behind Chubb, but league winning upside, as we saw, and top three usage if Chubb were to get injured. So that's the the key running back here that can provide at least stability off your bench in best ball leagues, but then also is an RB1 if the guy ahead of him goes down. It's true. I think what Hunt's, what it boils down to is people don't like drafting number two running backs who 
by definition, the ceiling is capped. Uh, or not, it's capped if the other guy stays healthy. Uh, but like the floor is just so high with Kareem Hunt, who does just a little bit of everything. It was one of the best, I guess you could call him role players in the NFL last year. He wasn't really a role player. I mean, he was almost a co-starter with Nick Chubb. And you just kind of have to get past the mental block. Like, well, this guy is not even the 1A back on his own team. And Kareem Hunt is another one, one of the few guys who I do, like I'm panicking at running back, but he's still there in the fifth or sixth round, maybe even the fourth. I, I won't feel bad about taking Kareem Hunt just because, the role is locked in. The personnel is so good, and just the offense will not be changing. Yeah, it, it, as a there, there are what I like to call like bridge running backs, where where you you can pick a pick up a guy who has every week usage, every week value, even if it's minimal, um, who can kind of float your team uh, long enough to for one of your later round running backs to emerge as as an every week starter. You know, Gus Edwards is is that the the prototypical uh, bridge running back with upside, obviously. And then hunt, uh, profiles is that too. The thing is, you know, hunt is going three to four rounds before Edwards. So. Things is too probably Denny's favorite backfield. But we're not gonna let him talk about it first. It's the Broncos. One of the leagues kind of more uncertain situations with, uh, had it up. Can Melvin Gordon, uh, John, first off, I'm going to ask you an off the wall question that probably makes no sense. Can Melvin Gordon get cut? Um, I don't know why I'm putting you in the spot with this. Question. Yes, but no, 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 it's fine. Uh, I actually have the information. Um, he could, but it doesn't really save money against the cap, which you would be looking at most likely as a sixth or a trade for a sixth or seventh round pick after June first. That's how they save the four to six million. I can't remember the exact number. So, but John, so Javante Williams is going near the end of the fifth. Melvin Gordon near the top of the seventh Do either of those ADPs. Do you like either of those? Or are you investing in either one of them in best ball? I have Javante Williams ranked over Melvin Gordon appropriately in my RB best ball tiers, but I do think Gordon opens the week one starter, whatever that means. Recall he averaged 20.8 touches in five games without Philip Lindsay. But when the other running back Lindsay behind him was healthy, averaged just 14.3 and those 10 surrounding starts. And that latter role is what I think he'll have in week one with Javante Williams, who remember George Payton post-draft press conference already said is a three down running back. And so as we move along the stretch, that's why I have Javante Williams retire because I believe he will eventually take over that role. But for the first few weeks, month, maybe a little bit longer than that, I do think Gordon has a role uh, as ugly as that it is. It's going to require a lot of patience for Javante Williams drafters. To mm-hmm. it, This, of course, assumes that Gordon stays with the team. But if Javante Williams, if you're drafting him with your fifth round pick and he's not the starter, and maybe the first few weeks of the season, like John said, he's only seeing, you know, six to eight touches a game. If that you start, you start to, you're going to have to start to question. He's going to be a guy you need to be really patient with. Maybe somehow build a roster where, you, you know, it's not, it's not going to hinge on his availability or, or his, or his production in that Denver offense and just wait it out and, and, and trust, you know, kind of trust the process situation here. The thing is, though, the fifth round ADP is, is is too high. It's like it's too that's too high a price to pay for that sort of patience. You know, we we can wait another five, six rounds and get guys who are in similar situations, not exactly like that. But, uh, you know, who who have the ability to emerge later in the season. So you're paying a premium and then you have to ha- uh, 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 have patience. That's a tough ask. 
it's basically like a Cam Akers type situation from last year, or maybe well, we didn't know. I don't think we knew that Cam Akers had league winning upside in the can, but like, can you really use a fifth round pick on someone like Danny's? It could be almost playoff time by the time they're finally like a real contributor for your team. And it, it is a very, very heavy ask. In ADP. The player we've, we've talked about this guy. He's one, this next player is someone we're just like, basically man comcast corporation actually like you might not know this i get emailed by comcast saying you need to talk about mike davis this week Uh, (laughs) we're just going to talk about mike davis till the end of time this summer he is in the dead zone again people just getting savvier because mike davis in years past i think was someone like after the draft came and the falcons didn't add anybody except for undrafted free agent javion hawkins people like well mike davis is no competition like this is the real deal but he's still going as like a very late fifth round pick. People trying to be disciplined with Mike Davis. Denny, is Mike Davis a dead zone running back we are comfortable investing in in his current ADP? People will mention Mike Davis alongside Miles Gaskin as people, as guys who emerge from the draft and seemingly are the other team's RB1s. I don't don't see the Falcons, you know, just judging from what their coaches and and GM have said, as you know, likely to add significant competition uh, for for Davis, where as I, I think I think that is coming for Gaskin, uh, and then of course Gaskin has, has Malcolm Brown there. So uh, I I think people are trying to stay disciplined, like you said, but maybe don't stay disciplined on on on, on Mike Davis. Uh, we all saw the picture of his quads, uh, you know, from from training or from the OTAs. Uh, tremendous, tremendous legs on that guy. So. You gotta, you gotta draft. No, I'm kidding, but, but he is, he's, he's another dead zone running back that you can make a real, real case for. There will be a couple guys in this zone who work out, and if we're talking about volume, then Mike Davis might be the one. Davis should not be a dead zone guy. Uh, Davis should be a fringe RB one. I don't know what is stopping him from getting there. Who are we worried about? They're not going to go out and add anyone. They've had the opportunity to already. And Davis is the only player in that backfield, not Kadri Allison, who was inherited from the last regime, not Javian Hawkins, who was an undrafted free agent that doesn't matter. Davis is the only one who profiles as a three-down back as well. So worst-case scenario, he's the pass-catching back. Best-case scenario, he handles every single down. Um, I, I don't know why he's in this dead zone. I have no idea. It's because new Falcons coach Urban Meyer has said they drafted Kyle Pitts as a running back. And <laughs> that is what's going on. That's what people are worried about with Mike Davis. So on the one hand, I have a hard time seeing life turning out happily ever after if I use a fifth-round pick on Mike Davis. He just wore down so much as the season went on last year as the three-down back in Carolina. But on the other hand, he he has like defenses in like every situation. He's obviously a goal-line presence. He's a very good pass catching back. So even if someone gets added to the mix in Atlanta, it's not like his role is just going to like disappear. Like he's not going to be involved. He is, he's going to be the clear lead back no matter who is added at this point. And again, even if a committee develops, it's not an out of control ADP. He can do a little bit of everything. He did a little bit of everything very well last year. And I, I, I don't, I guess I don't agree with John that like he's, I think he is like a dead zone running back. Because I just think I just what is like truly the ceiling in this offense behind this terrible offensive line and offense trading Julio Jones an offense that's going to have to pass a ton, but I think the floor is just very very high for Mike Davis and like 
a very strong floor season is not too much of an ask from Mike Davis. The value was clearly to get in on pre-draft Mike Davis shares, but that time has come and gone. Having said that, I, I just don't think the industry and everyone has adjusted enough. Like he needs to be higher. He's he's going as the RB, like over the RB24 in some formats. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense at all because there are so few question marks compared to the others in that range. I was stuck on mute. Um Another player that the Comcast CEO, I was trying to Google the name of the Comcast CEO. I believe it's Brian Roberts. Um, and he, he, he texts me every week on the pod. We're going to have to talk about Chase Edmonds again this Absolutely. week. Yeah. And I'm like, Mr. Roberts, I will do it. I understand that people need more Chase Edmonds talk. John, what are your feelings on Chase Edmonds as a dead zone running back? It, is, is the fade going to get too out of control? I feel like some weeks we're hyping Chase Edmonds. Some weeks we're fading him. We're trying to like figure out where James Conner truly fits. He's going in like the sixth or seventh round, Chase Edmonds. Give us the lay of the land on Chase Edmonds, John. I believe it was Friday's news or Saturday's where Edmonds did come out and mention about uh, how both Kime and Kingsbury put their confidence into him as a starter. And now he's basically ready to run with that opportunity. Even more questions than Mike Davis has is, of course, Edmonds' role because we are worried about James Conner being the goal line back. Other than that, though, this is still a, a clear opportunity to draft Chase Edmonds, who I will continue to be above the industry in as my RB18-20, to 20, depending what else shakes up and happens. But overall, I'm not too concerned. What's happening right now, as you can see in ADP shifting, is that James Conner is somehow moving up so far that he's probably got to be removed from Denny's zero RB tiers. If he's, if he's even in those tiers, because like he's getting to the range where he's going to be like a RB 23, 24 in a month or so. I'm sorry. I was on mute. It's a zoomer. I mean, it's lame. It's ruining the podcast, but a zoomer yeah. told me it was cool to it, be caught on mute on a podcast. It, so it, show, really it shows you're engaged. Uh, and also I, I appreciate your stance for editorial independence and in this in the Comcast CEO calling you and tell you to talk <laughs> about Chase Edmonds, uh, which I feel like we've, you know, has, has been like a main topic of, of, of our pilot and for good reason. You know, we, whoever gets like the, 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 the Kenyan Drake role, which is weird to say, uh, in in this offense uh, has interesting fantasy upside. You know, very. I think um, Kenyon Drake was second in uh, running at rushing attempts inside the five yard line, and and maybe third inside the ten yard line. Can't remember exactly what it was, but lots of scoring opportunity there with a with a mobile quarterback that you know puts the fear of God into uh, defenses. Sorry to get religious. Uh, James Connors, uh, ADP is stupid and I'm, and I'm, I'm upset about it. I'm not laughing. I'm not having fun. What happened? <laughs> he was supposed to be the one he was supposed to be a 10th, 12th rounder who you could just take and see what shakes out. But now you have to really think about it, about him, about taking him. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do with the Arizona backfield at, at the moment. I, I'm not wild about Chase Edmonds' ADP, but I like it better than James Connors. So I, that, that's that's where I am right now. I'm comfortable with the Edmonds' ADP. The fade has gone too far. I mean, I'm citing raw PPR points and, or half PPR points instead of average, which I think average is probably still the better tool. But Chase Edmonds was the RB25 by raw half PPR points as the number two in a committee last season. 
I think he is definitely the one A at this point. And even if he's losing some goal line, some goal line carries to James Conner, I feel like I feel like Chase Edmonds is 2020 is his 2021 floor. The ceiling's not as high as it would have been without James Conner. Like I think the floor is what we got last year, and that's a perfectly fine sixth round investment. So the the fade has gone way too far with Chase Edmonds. Any any closing dead zone thoughts? Um, any John? Uh, I will say talking through these dead zone running backs uh, shows that there there is a lot of appeal um, uh, uh, among this group, and some of these guys are going to be out of the dead zone. Uh, but you know, come real drafting season, you know, July and August, uh, where I, and I'm not saying one way or the other. I mean, some guys will will fall into the seventh, eighth, ninth. Some guys will will catapult up uh, into the the second, third round. Well, second round, I guess, since the dead zone starts in the third. Uh, but but you can you can see that there is upside, there is appeal among these backs. I think if I had to name two two guys who I find the most appealing in this range right now, right now uh, it's, it's Kareem Hunt and Mike Davis. I'm Kareem Hunt too. I don't know if I want to say my second guy, it's Josh Jacobs, but uh, uh, Kareem Hunt I'm comfortable with is one of my favorite dead zone running backs. <laughs> it is Chris Carson and Mike Davis for me. And if you ever try to bring the dead zone beyond the dead zone to this podcast, I'm not showing up because <laughs> it gets so ugly after this. It gets because. very dead, like no organic, mat. like one of those things in the Gulf of Mexico where all the pesticides have emptied into the ocean and there's like this nothing living there. Uh, that's it for today's show. Any, what's on the site this week, boys? Um, I, I'm going to do a piece uh, that looks back at Urban Meyer offenses over the years and which players are most likely to take on the traditional roles in Urban Meyer offenses. We're also working on all our magazine content behind the scenes to get ready for mid-June release. And we will be back Thursday for our monthly Our Guys podcast. So check that out. That'll be with Matt Straub. That's it for today. Uh, for Denny Carter, for John Daigle, I'm Patrick Darty. We'll catch you later this week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.